It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is August the 7th, 2020. Glad to join you. Hopefully you're able to uh, hear my program this evening. Last Friday, uh, gremlins crept into the system, uh, and I was neither able to broadcast, and my podcast never got recorded, so Hopefully, we will do better today. Uh, you know, back when I was an immigration agent, I had a sign posted on the wall of my office that read, to err is human, to really screw up, you need a computer. And boy, oh boy, last week we got to see what happens when the gremlins uh, come to town and, and visit. So hopefully, we're doing better today. I hope you're doing well also. Uh, the world is nuts, obviously. That hasn't changed. Uh, anarchy still reigns supreme and these bastions of liberalism it's not really liberalism you know i'm a lifelong registered democrat uh, i've always thought of myself as being a sort of liberal kind of centrist sort of guy applying common sense not political dogma to the issues uh, it's about what works what's fair what's in the best interests of america it's really as i wrote in an earlier article for front page magazine and i hope all of you uh, check out my articles at front page. I expect another one will be published this week. Uh, you won't believe it. I'll just give you a teaser. But believe it or not, folks, sanctuary New York City, the city that not only never sleeps and the riot and, and the shootings never stop. It seems now with this uh, regime in power, Mr. De Blasio, D-U-H, De Blasio, uh, having done all the damage that he's done. Uh, you know, this whole thing about defunding the police and so forth. The city that has an abhorrence for federal immigration law enforcement, you better sit down and fasten your seatbelts because in a very real manner of speaking, Mayor de Blasio has created a border patrol for the Big Apple. I kid you not. Um, if there's time at the end of the program, I'll do more than just tease the issue, but just think about it. Uh, and I took that insanity on um, in my latest piece that hopefully the editors at Front Page will be publishing in the coming weeks. So we'll give you something to look forward to. But, you know, with all the craziness that's going on, uh, it's interesting. The economy, again, picking up. The um, unemployment rates are dropping. Employment jobs have gone up better than anyone expected. And, you know, when, when I look at where we are because of the coronavirus, a gift to the world from China, 
It started in China. They didn't do what they needed to do to protect the world. They made sure that the citizens of China, people in China, could not travel from Hunan province where it started to any other part of China, but they were free to hop on international flights and spread, um, I won't call it the wealth, the illness across the planet. Millions have been infected. Uh, Hundreds of thousands are now dead. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And borders are supposed to be a country's first line of defense against dangerous diseases and criminals and terrorists, uh, that sort of thing. In fact, I will get into that in my article that I, again, hope will be published this week. But I drew some interesting parallels between the way that the sheriffs of New York City are being deployed and being used with how the federal government uses the Border Patrol and ICE agents, Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents. And yet New York City, New York State, steadfastly remain some of the worst offenders in terms of sanctuary policies. But they're concerned that people coming into New York City from other parts of the country might be bringing with them the deadly COVID virus. Well, all I will say is that Ellis Island that we hear so much about by the open borders anarchists, and they don't reference it too much anymore. Maybe it has something to do with some of the pieces I've written about Ellis Island, but Ellis Island, folks, when it was built, was not only a quarantine station, but it was the biggest hospital complex in the entire United States of America, built specifically on an artificial island to make certain that those who came to America who might be suffering from dangerous communicable diseases were not able to get to the U.S. mainland vis-a-vis through New York City unless they were cleared by public health and immigration officials who controlled Ellis Island. So just think about that. There was no such thing as catch and release. Um, we didn't want to catch any diseases that they might have been carrying. And that's not a statement of xenophobia. That's a statement of science. Um, And so while I make that point, I have to make another point. I was listening to Dr. Fauci. And, you know, his position on issues seems to, you know, swing and sway according to whatever is expedient or, or whatever. The guy is the quintessential survivor. He's been around for decades. He knows how to play the political game. He's kind of like the guy that buys the tickets for every racehorse in the race. And then when the race is over, he gets up and says, hey, how about that? I picked the winning horse. Yes, you picked every horse. So, of course, one of them had to win. You know, that's just the way it works. But Dr. Fauci said that anyone who disagrees with him does not believe in science. And I have to tell you, that level of chutzpah is infuriating. Science is supposed to be about the unfettered quest for knowledge. That's what it's about. And we see constantly how theories that were in, so to speak, last year are out this year. Um, If you look at how we thought the universe operated prior to the Hubble Space Telescope, prior to other instruments that we've been able to launch into space and other work that's been done, you know, go back 50 years ago 
and, and most astronomers thought that the Milky Way galaxy was the universe. Now we know that the Milky Way is only one galaxy of billions of galaxies. So as we've widened our horizon, literally, more than exponentially, right? Think about that. We're suddenly finding out that what we thought we knew wasn't accurate. We've seen it in all kinds of studies about what is carcinogenic, that is to say causes cancer, what isn't carcinogenic. For years we were told don't eat eggs based on scientific studies. Then more studies came out that said eggs are okay. And, and let's remember that corporations and various special interest groups are willing to fund research, and generally they want the research to favor their position. You know, the American Tobacco Institute used to tout studies that alleged that cigarette smoke was healthy for you. It's good for your digestion. It's good to calm your nerves. The heck with your lungs, your heart, uh, mouth cancer, throat cancer. Don't worry about that stuff. Just relax. Light one up. And then, of course, the, the, the word got out that cigarettes were simply a delivery system for an addictive drug known as nicotine. And, boy, did that start a whole hullabaloo. But all we keep hearing from these guys in the white coats, not the people in the lunatic asylum, and maybe they should be involved with this also, but all we hear is, if you disagree with us, then you don't believe in science. So, you know, we're out there stirring the cauldron, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, you know, the, the wicked witches from Macbeth, I believe it was. Um, this isn't about not believing in science. It's about questioning what we're being told. We should always always, always question anything that anyone tells us because, as Voltaire said, you judge a person's intelligence by the questions that he or she asks. The easiest way to be hoodwinked, the easiest way to be taken down the, 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 the path to destruction is to blindly follow anybody. I don't want any of you to take what I say and say, well, Mike Cutler said it, it's got to be right. No, Mike Cutler said it. You better check to make sure I got it right. Nobody is above review. And I love when they say, this is a peer-reviewed study. Yes, they got a bunch of people who went to the same universities, learned the same methodology, read the same textbooks, and they agree with each other. Wow, I'm shocked. My heart is going to stop any moment now. That's how shocked I am. Everything we're told is subject to change as more information becomes available. Every single day, the human species adds to its body of knowledge. You know, there was an interesting study that was done, or a comparison that was done, that said that if you wanted to look at how we've increased at an increasing pace our understanding of the universe and a whole host of issues, biology, physics, science, math, name the discipline. If you considered the time that, that the human beings first on their, on their two legs to the time of Christ and call that one unit of knowledge, that unit doubled somewhere around the Renaissance. It doubled again somewhere around the First World War, doubled between the First World War and the Second World War. It's now estimated that our understanding of, of key issues doubles every five or ten years. So as we gain greater understanding, we're going to realize we got a lot of things wrong. Back in the 70s, we were told that pollution would cause 
the equivalent of a nuclear winter. We would have an ice age. Along came the 80s. They said, oh, no, no, we got it wrong. Uh, it's actually going to cause the, the glaciers to melt and the earth to melt down. We've got to question this stuff. It's not heretical to say to a scientist, prove it. It's not heretical to raise the question. My dad used to say to me, the only stupid question is the question you don't ask. Uh, to go off on a bit of a tangent before we get to the key issues that I really want to talk to you about, but I think this is important because I hope it creates in your mind the questions that you should be asking. Um, I got into a, a back and forth with, with a, a guy who told me he was a climatologist, had his Ph.D. and so forth, and when I told him that I was not certain as to whether or not, number one, uh, we really have global warming, and in fact they're not sure either, so they, call, they now call it climate change, it's kind of like a Fauci move. Let's change the words so we're not wrong because the, the climate doesn't get warmer, it gets colder, but that's still a change. So if we say climate change instead of global warming, we're right because the climate changed. Rather remarkable. Words matter, folks. Words matter. So they dropped global warming and they said climate change. Why? Because if you have climate change, then the temperature is going to change over a period of time. If you look at the science and if you watch the programs, and I, I started out learning astronomy, teaching myself astronomy in third grade. I've been fascinated by astronomy ever since I can remember. The Earth has undergone numerous ice ages, what was called snowball Earth, and each time the Earth thawed out. This is before humans even came to the planet. To my knowledge, no archaeologist, no anthropologist, have ever dug up 18-wheelers with dinosaurs behind the wheel. How in the world could the Earth have gotten warmer and colder and colder and warmer, and we have glaciers and ice ages, and then we thaw out, and then we have more ice ages? How did that happen? And I asked that question to this guy who said, I'm a climatologist. And he said, well, uh, there's different reasons for that, but the issue here is that the earth is getting warmer and we're doing it, the human activity. And I said, you know, the scientific method is interesting, but the scientific method states that when you do an experiment, you're supposed to remove all of the variables except for the one variable that you're testing. So I asked him, how many variables go into climate? He said, oh, many. I said, have we identified all the variables? He said, no, we haven't. Now, I want you to understand what the implication is. If you haven't identified all the variables, how do, you how do you remove those variables that you haven't identified from the experiment? And the answer is you can't. And when I asked him that question, he got very irritated. And he said, now, wait a second. Let me explain this to you. He said, if you look at the trace of the level of carbon dioxide, it parallels the increase in the Earth's temperature over the last couple of hundred years. I said, well, in 1999, that didn't happen. He said, well, that was an aberration. I said, so in other words, you're discarding data because it doesn't match the model. Richard Feynman, who was a brilliant mathematician and scientist during the Second World War in his 20s, and lots of mathematicians do their best work before they reach age 30. I think Einstein was something like 22 or 23 when he came up with his general theory of relativity. So this is not unusual. But Richard Feynman, who was brilliant, he figured out a way to do parallel computing. He chopped months off of the Manhattan Project to create the first usable nuclear weapon. Had he not done that, it's entirely possible that Germany and Japan might have gotten to a nuclear weapon before we did. 
and the world would be a very different place. I suspect none of us would be here now. So Feynman is really a pivotal scientist, pivotal mathematician, physicist, whatever you want to call Feynman. Interesting character. He was called upon, by the way, when Challenger blew up, and he was the guy who figured out that the frigid weather caused the O-rings on the space shuttle solid rocket boosters to become brittle and allow gases to escape, uh, acting kind of as a blowtorch and blowing up the center fuel tank, leading to the catastrophic loss of space shuttle Challenger and its, and its crew of seven astronauts. So that's who Feynman is. And Feynman said something that's worth remembering. He said when you do experiments and you create models to explain the experiments, to visualize what you've got, he said if you find variation between the model and the data, you never, ever discard the data. You discard the model and start over. When someone can blithely say, well, that was an aberration, what he's really saying is let's get rid of the data because it doesn't fit our model. It violates common sense. It certainly violates something that Professor Feynman had to say, which I agree with completely. And when I asked him several possibilities, I said, you know, just sitting here talking to you, and you're basing everything on carbon dioxide levels. What if the Earth got warmer because of issues not related to human activity? Let's consider some of the variables. The sun, and this is a proven fact, is a variable star. What does that mean? It gets warmer, it gets colder. Well, if you have an incandescent bulb on a dimmer switch, if you make the bulb brighter, your hand gets hotter if you hold it near the light. If you make it dimmer, your hand gets cooler because the bulb is cooler. The sun is kind of like that incandescent light bulb. If the sun gives out more energy, the earth gets warmer. I assure you there's nothing we puny humans on planet Earth do that has one iota, one scintilla of impact on the sun's energy output. The sun, like many other stars, is variable. It increases and decreases. We have sunspot activity that increases and decreases generally in 11-year cycles, if you check that out. So that's one of the variables. We also know, and, and, and I, I just saw this, it was an interesting program on the Discover Channel, um, about how the Earth's orbit around the sun is slightly modified because of the gravitational pull of Venus and Jupiter. There are times the Earth is a little bit closer to the sun, a little bit further from the sun. It doesn't run on a railroad track. So all the planets orbit the sun, and they all interact because of gravitational tugging one way or the other. And scientists, astronomers, astrophysicists have determined that the Earth does have a little wobble going as it goes around the sun because at certain points, both Venus, which is very close to us, and Jupiter, which is the most massive planet in the solar system, tugs on the Earth this way and that way, and it slightly changes the orbit. And if you get closer to the sun or further from the sun, it has an impact if the inclination of the axis of the Earth, which is normally about 23.5 degrees, changes a little bit. That can impact that. And I asked him, I said, you know, the other thing that comes to mind, if the Earth got warmer because the factor is not necessarily related to human activity, as the Earth gets warmer, isn't it possible that biomass would decay more rapidly, you know, trees that fall in the forest, animals that die in the forest, anything that's made of carbon, you know, biological material, outgasses carbon dioxide as it's metabolized by bacteria and, and so forth. So when you do experiments, you find out that generally when the temperature goes up, the rate of uh, decomposition increases, which would mean you'd be out having more outgassing of carbon dioxide. Who's to say that the 
warming of the earth by the sun and other factors doesn't cause an increase in the velocity of the release of carbon dioxide. So it's actually the earth's temperature that drives the carbon dioxide level, not the carbon dioxide level that drives the earth's temperature, the earth's climate. And he got really agitated and said, I can explain that. I said, okay, go ahead. He said, but not now. I don't have time. That was the end of our phone call. A couple of months later, we were back on the phone. And by then, I had done some homework. I also had spoken to a meteorologist who worked for the National Weather Service, also had a Ph.D., had been there for decades, and told me that, indeed, there have been studies about how outgassing from a biological decay does influence the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, I was just taking a wild hunch, putting some facts together. Well, when I spoke to the guy that person who disagreed with me way back something dawned on me and this is something you should be doing i asked them who he works for or who he used to work for and that was really telling i'm sorry i didn't ask him the first time because it would have immediately illuminated what the situation is this gentleman had worked for the nuclear industry the nuclear industry pushes their technology saying that nuclear power even though we may have problems with radioactivity and there's national security concerns about bad guys getting their hands on radioactive materials, if not to make nuclear weapons, at least to make dirty bombs. Also say, well, we don't do anything. We're, we're carbon neutral. So think about it. The entire nuclear industry touts the fact that they don't contribute to carbon in the environment. So don't you think that someone who comes out of that industry would be um, – predisposed, if you will, to talk all about the horrors of carbon dioxide and climate change um, because that would further his industry. These are the issues we're dealing with, but I guarantee you that the average person, number one, doesn't question scientists. They put on that white lab coat and everyone's intimidated. And number two, they use the bullying tactic of saying, oh, you disagree with me? Well, guess what? You don't believe in science. You can go online and there are many highly regarded physicists, scientists, geologists, climatologists, meteorologists who do not agree with the notion of climate change the way it's been presented to us. But they are going to have an almost impossible time of getting airtime. And God knows, I'm sure, that they're being stricken from social media, not unlike the way people that disagree with Fauci are being taken off of social media. We have to learn to question everything that we're being told, folks. Whether I'm saying it or someone else says it, please, 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 I beg you, do your homework. you got to. Because there are people out there who are not the objective folks you want to believe they are. Just because people wear a lab coat doesn't mean they can't be corrupted. The chairman of the chemical biology department at Harvard University has been arrested by the FBI charged with concealing his close working relationship with China and the money he received from the Chinese government from the federal government, which is a crime. And more recently, he has just been charged with tax evasion. doesn't mean that he did these crimes. He's been indicted. He's accused of the crimes. Uh, until you are found guilty, you're innocent. That's how our system of justice works, which is why a thugocracy that we're seeing in so many of these cities should scare the hell out of everybody because there's a reason why we do the justice system the way we do, to try to protect 
people from being falsely convicted of crimes they did not do. When you look to kill people because they did it without a trial, without evidence, that's not justice. What it is is terrifying. That's what is at stake. We've got to be mindful. Question everybody. Question everybody. Please question everything you hear on my program. Don't take anything I say at face value. I do my homework, but I can make mistakes, and I I hope I don't. I'm very careful. But I have no problem with someone coming up to me and saying, hey, Mike, you got it wrong. That's cool. Erasers uh, are put on the back of pencils because people do make mistakes. So I want to go back into what I was going to discuss last week had my computer and the whole system uh, melted on me. Um, I wrote an article for um, Front Page Magazine. It was published July 29th. No peace, no justice, the dead have no civil rights. So my concern, and you'll see it in my article. I hope you'll read the article and post the links everywhere and forward it and put it up on Facebook and Twitter and any place else where we can well, you can be part of my bucket brigade of truth, as I like to call it. Nancy Pelosi refers to DHS agents, DHS agents, Department of Homeland Security agents, as stormtroopers. Um, they're driving around in black, unmarked vans. It almost reminds me of, of the Tin Hat Brigade when they used to talk about the black helicopters flying over their house. Law enforcement agencies use unmarked vehicles. Police departments do it. State police, city police, sheriffs do it. Federal agencies do it. But the people that are making the arrests are wearing raid gear that properly identify who they are. I know I used to do this for a living. And we do it for a bunch of reasons. People have the right to know if they're being arrested, who's arresting them. And it's also about safety. A significant number of agents and police officers who get shot get shot by friendly fire. There are mistakes made in the heat of the moment, the fog of battle, if you will. Friendly fire is a real concern. It's something that we constantly train about because people die because of friendly fire. So if you have guys running around with guns and they're not clearly delineated and some cop driving by sees a guy running around with a submachine gun or a shotgun or has a handgun out, that encounter might end very badly for everybody. So it's vital that raid gear which is designed, by the way, this isn't about militarizing the police. You know, they've militarized the police. No, it's protective gear. If you saw all those items that were hurled at the DHS agents in Portland, Seattle, elsewhere, the cops coming under fire, three agents reportedly blinded by high-powered lasers, this was a concerted effort to kill and cripple law enforcement officers, so they're wearing protective gear. This isn't about militarizing the police. The police aren't coming in with fighter planes and, uh, and, and bazookas and, uh, you know, <laughs> opening fire. The point to law enforcement isn't to kill. The point to law enforcement is to take people into custody with the least harm done, ideally with no casualties whatsoever. I am thrilled to death that I never fired my weapon uh, other than at the pistol range. No rational person wants to shoot another human being. When I was attacked by a dog years ago, we were executing warrants. I I couldn't bring myself to shoot the dog. I smacked it in the snout with my gun, and it took off running. 
Nobody wants to shoot a dog. Nobody wants to shoot another person. Are there a couple of bad actors out there that shouldn't be in law enforcement? Of course, we have it in every profession. And I, and I talked about it in my article. I made note of the fact that, according to Johns Hopkins, a couple of years ago, over 250,000 people died of medical malpractice. That's a huge number. Certainly, far and away, eclipses what we've seen in law enforcement encounters with the civilian population. But there is an agenda in play, and the radical left, I can't, they call themselves Democrats. I do not believe that they deserve to be called Democrats or liberal. They are fascists. They're totalitarians. They're looking to take down America. And the, and the Democrats can't even bring themselves to disagree with them. If you saw the hearing where Ted Cruz pinned down a, a senator from the Democrat side of the aisle, she would not condemn Antifa. This is astonishing. There's radicals on both sides of the argument. Anytime you hear extremists and radicals, it should concern us. I don't care if they're extremist left or extremist right. The word extremist is disconcerting to me. Most rational people want to keep the bus on the road. We may argue about what lane we want to be driving in, left, middle, or right lane. Okay, we could argue about that. But the extremists either want to jump the rail and head so far to the left that they go into the oncoming traffic and into annihilation, while on the extreme right, they want to drive off the cliff and down the embankment. Neither possibility warms my heart. Okay? The idea of extremism should be disconcerting to, to everybody. It seems as though the Democrats have a real problem acknowledging that Antifa is an issue. You know, I listened to Obama make that speech. Oh, those agents are out there, peaceful demonstrators, peaceful demonstrators. And, in fact, it was interesting at the hearing that was done uh, at the House Judiciary Committee, and I've testified before that uh, committee a number of times years past, Nadler's committee, and you saw the video that the Republicans put up where you had one journalist after another, so-called journalist in parenthesis or quotation marks, journalist. No violence, peaceful demonstrators. Meanwhile, in the background, buildings are burning. Peaceful, largely peaceful, flames shooting out of buildings people throwing bricks through windows, people bleeding in the street, peaceful demonstrators. Remarkable. How any politician of any ideology can blithely ignore the violence, the damage, the threat this poses to innocent people, the most vulnerable, how they could be calling for the defunding of law enforcement blows my mind. And it's particularly troubling when you realize that legislators write laws. Well, that's something for you to think about, because human laws, legislated laws, don't enforce themselves. The laws of nature are immutable. The speed of light is not established by somebody with a summons book and a radar detector. The speed of light is, is, is part of what the physics of our universe dictates. You know, It doesn't require enforcement by humans. It has nothing to do with humans. But when legislators say, you know, we've got a problem with drunk driving, we have to increase the punishment for people caught driving drunk. Well, who's going to do that? Librarians? Social workers? No. Police officers stop people who are driving drunk, and they arrest them. Why do they do that? To punish them and to deter others from doing that because lots of people die because of drunk driving. The same thing with bank robbers. So we've come to the point of vilifying law enforcement. The people that enforce the laws that the legislators create 
there's no point to creating a law if there's no one there to enforce the law because unenforced laws are meaningless. Has anyone even thought of that? What is the point to the exercise? So they don't want the laws enforced, apparently. They're going to pull the cops out of school. In fact, I, I you know, I, I, I do a podcast with Dennis Michael Lynch over at DML News, Team DML, Cutler's Corner. You ought to consider checking it out and subscribing. And we were talking about how in, in uh, I believe it was Oregon, kindergarten cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger is now is not going to be aired. It was supposed to be presented. They said, no, 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 that's a very bad movie, going back to the cancel culture. And what makes it a bad movie? It's a bad movie because it shows police officers in schools with children. Just stop and think about that. Why were we moving more members of law enforcement into public schools? Because of school shootings. Remember that whole business? This is a gun-free zone, which I disagree with, by the way. Um, Bad guys aren't going to be deterred by that. We need people who protect the schools who are able to meet force with force. That's how it works. If a guy has a gun and you say, stop, you're going to wind up dead. If you have a gun, it becomes a different equation. All right? They move law enforcement into the schools to protect the children and to protect them because if you look what happened in Russia a number of years ago at Beslan, hundreds of school kids were taken hostage and killed in Russia by terrorists. They're terrorists because they do things that are terrible to inflict fear. What is more upsetting than the notion of innocent children being gunned down by crazies, by terrorists, by sociopaths. We've seen it too many times. So jurisdiction said we need to put police officers in the equation to protect the children from armed crazies. I agree, that's fair. Well, they want the cops out of the schools. They would rather see children blown up in a school than have law enforcement out there doing what they need to do. Now, this is absolutely crazy. It makes no sense, and yet this is exactly what we're dealing with, folks. This is precisely what we're dealing with. It's illogical, totally illogical. And um, I I, I have to tell you, um, the world has gone mad, and we need to push back. Uh, Bear with me just one second if I can do this. Uh, No, I guess I can't. Uh, Let me do it this way. Well, I won't do it. So understand what the problem is, though. We are now in a situation where the lunatics are running the asylum. And they're running the asylum because clearly um, the radical left wants control over our government at any cost, even if it means carnage. And that's what we're getting in cities like Chicago and New York and elsewhere defunding police, disbanding the anti-crime units. I've talked about that before. I've worked with anti-crime units uh, in New York City Police Department. They're very effective. And, and then releasing criminals who are convicted of violent crimes for fear that they will contract the, COVID, the, the coronavirus, COVID-19. So they go out on the street and they kill people and they rape. But that's okay because we didn't want them to catch COVID. Seriously? And then you had bail reform which was supposed to only involve people who did not commit violent crime. You know, the guy that's caught with a joint, the guy that was caught speeding, there's no reason to put him in jail. And and I might even agree with that. I I think we we imprison too many people for reasons that doesn't serve anyone's worthwhile purpose. But again, what happened? 
bail reform led to rapists and child molesters and, and people pulling armed robberies to be released from jail because we have criminal justice reform. So the focus is on the poor perpetrator, not the poor victim. If that doesn't sound bass-ackwards, I don't know what does. But that seems to be where we are. You know, too often we look at the two parties and say, boy, there's a tough choice. Well, I have a lot of issues with the Republicans. I will tell you that. But I have not seen the level of insanity that we're seeing now from the radical left. And my message to Nancy and Chuck and all those people who think they're in charge, they're not. When you're running from a mob, you may be in front of the mob, but you're not leading that mob, folks. You're running for your life. And with their rickety knees, they can't run too far. And even if they were marathon runners, that mob is ultimately going to catch up to them and it's going to devour them. They've unleashed a monster that needs to be put back in its cage, but they're not willing to address it. And the first step in solving problems is to acknowledge that, indeed, there is a problem. So when Obama and and all these others on the left can say, oh, there's no violence, there's nothing to see here, look at the newsreel footage, folks. This isn't make-believe. People are dying. People are being injured. And Nancy Pelosi has the chutzpah to refer to federal agents as stormtroopers, just the way that Governor Cuomo called ICE agents thugs. And when I saw Sanctuary Cities beginning, I said, you know, if they could do it to Sanctuary Cities, how long before they, or rather if they could do it to immigration agents, rather, in Sanctuary Cities, how long before they go after other law enforcement agencies? And we're there. And we're there. And that's why it was so startling to me to see that the sheriffs are being used as a sort of border patrol for the city of New York that doesn't like law enforcement. Truly incredible things are happening that bears keeping an eye on, bears having conversations with your neighbors about. Now, there's there's a couple of other quick points that I really compelled to make to you today. And one of them was the um, article that I had mentioned, uh, if if you go to the... uh, posting in conjunction with my radio show today Um, on July 31st the Associated Press reported that uh, Joe Cartsarneo the surviving brother of the Boston Marathon attack had his death sentence overturned because it was determined that at least one of the jurors in his trial did not disclose his um, position on the Tsarnaev brothers' terror attack against the United States, against the Boston Marathon. And they said, well, this guy lied about his background, lied about his position, really wasn't objective. So they had to throw out, I think it was two counts of of where he was found guilty. And with that went the death penalty. So they may retry it, or I'm not sure how they're going to remedy this. But for now, they have lifted the death penalty from Jokar Tsarnaev because of what one of the jurors had done and not done. Now, what I find remarkable, again, hypocrisy, whether you like Roger Stone or not, isn't the issue. But justice should be uniform. The presumption of innocence should exist for everyone. President Trump commuted Roger Stone's sentence, did not pardon him. He didn't say he's not guilty of a crime. What he said was, as president, I'm going to use my authority so that he will not have to spend a single day in jail. Now, why did he do that? He's an old man. He has health issues, and the concern was the COVID virus. 
This is not unlike what mayors and governors have done releasing violent thugs who've been convicted of crimes, including bank robbery and gun crimes and so forth. They were released. Why? COVID virus. They're back on the street. They've killed and raped and, and, and hurt more people. But they were released because of COVID-19. President Trump said, look, here's the story. There was a juror in that trial, the foreperson in, in the Stone trial, by the way, a lawyer, who said, oh, I don't pay that much attention to politics. I really don't know much about all this. And then they found out that that person has been posting all kinds of stuff on the Internet about her, her you know, abhorrence for the president and, and what she really thought of Roger Stone. Not very different, apparently, from what happened to Jokart Sarnayev. Now, Jokart Sarnayev killed children and injured hundreds of people with his brother by bombing the marathon. They actually planted, if you saw that horrific video, one of those pressure cooker bombs behind a young kid and blew it up, knowing full well that if that kid didn't move, he was going to be ripped to shreds, and he was. And yet, because of something a juror failed to disclose during the process of voir dire where they're questioned about their fitness for duty as a juror, the courts came back and said, no, we, we've got to throw out this, this uh, murder um, sentence, the, the, the uh, death sentence, because of what happened in the jury. The same sort of thing happened to Stone. And the president didn't say, you're not guilty of the crime. He just said, this isn't a violent crime. Um, I don't think that Roger Stone is about to go out and kill people or rape little girls or little children or rob banks. That's not the nature of the crime. It was a white-collar crime. And so the president said, I'm going to commute your sentence. How much screaming was there, including even from some Republicans? It blew my mind. It's okay for mayors and governors to release violent felons who went out and killed more people and injured more people, but because... Stone is affiliated with the president. Oh, my God, what's going on here? In fact, what is going on here, folks? This is a very worrying situation. We should all expect fair treatment at the bar of justice. That is why it is called justice. You see? Not a big mystery here. It's astonishing and it's disturbing. And by the way, it was also interesting that the Justice Department sought to deviate from the normal sentencing guidelines to really drop a bomb on this guy in terms of how much time behind bars. Again, I don't want anyone getting special treatment, whether it's especially good or especially bad. There should be this presumption that the justice system will mete out justice fairly and dispassionately. We didn't see it here. We didn't see it, in my judgment, in, in, in the impeachment process. We don't see it across a broad spectrum of issues today. And when you hear the term white privilege, it concerns me because that implies that somehow one group of people is getting away with something. I, I believe in American privilege. I believe everyone should be treated 100% equally. That was what Martin Luther King believed. Don't judge people by the color of the skin, but the content of their soul. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be striving for, a country that ignores race, religion, ethnicity completely. These are not factors that should be an element of anything. I believe in American privilege. I believe in fair and just equal treatment. 
And that's what the Supreme Court has always ruled. Think back to the Board of Education, Brown versus the Board of Ed. They said separate but equal is not equal. Everyone needs to be treated equally. The notion of white privilege flies directly in the face of the notion of equality. The notion of equality is central to justice. We're going off the rails. We need to bring this monstrosity back. And what was interesting, Bill Maher aired a program last week. Uh, They'll have a new one tonight, so I don't know if it's still up. If it is, DVR it so you can watch it. If not, maybe it'll be on the Internet. But he had Barry Weiss and, and a gentleman on the program, Bill Maher did last Friday, Barry Weiss, if you remember, was the op-ed, the editor, the opinions editor at the New York Times who resigned because of all the pressure she was facing, because they felt she was not going far enough to the left the way they wanted her to. And she said, what are you doing? And she got into the issue of white privilege. And how do you hold people responsible, not for the crimes of their parents, but ancestors hundreds of years ago? This goes back to the 1619 Project uh, being run by the New York Times. What's the 1619 Project? If you're not familiar with it, go back into your calendar and look up August 1619. See what you were doing that day. Yes, August 1619. You don't have anything in your calendar on that date, I'm going to guess. None of us were here. We're talking about 401 years ago. That was when the first slave ship arrived in in Virginia, in the British colonies in Virginia. And because of that, America is irredeemable. This is madness. Slavery was a scourge, and it existed around the world. And by erasing history, what we're ignoring is that America led the charge for freedom. America put its mouth, put money where its mouth was also the lives of its citizens. It was America that defeated the Nazis and the fascists. It's America that's always risen to the challenge. Yes, we didn't always get it right. We got it wrong real bad, big time when you look at slavery. I agree. It was horrific. But slavery ended a long time ago, and no one alive today has any responsibility for slavery. And Barry White said, you know, how can you blame me, although I'm white, for slavery? She said, my ancestors weren't even here. You know, what do you do with people whose grandparents crawled out of the concentration camps in Europe barely escaping with their lives, what responsibility do they have for slavery? This is the lunacy we're confronting. And so apparently a bunch of extreme liberals, Noam Chomsky, they went through this whole list, Gloria Steinem, big list, are all saying that the cancel culture is an anathema to what America is. That which made America exceptional is being torn to shreds by anarchists and the counterculture bunch that want to destroy history. There's actually a university saying that grammar is racist. I guess we should stop teaching our children how to speak when they're born. We'll just let them grunt at each other. I mean, we're almost doing it now with Twitter, aren't we? How far are we? is this depravity going to penetrate our society, destroy our country, so that China, Russia, Iran can march in and, 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 and finish us off? They're playing a very dangerous game. And if you think that you have a problem with America, go look at what China does with its concentration camps. Go look at how Russia does business. Go look at the crazy Iranians. We're talking about the weakening of the only country 
that stands between freedom and tyranny and oppression. You have nihilists who probably had troubled relationships with their parents. I find it remarkable, for example, that Bernie Sanders never wants to talk about his childhood. Think how bizarre that is. Think how bizarre it is when you realize that almost every politician wants to tell you their stories, even if they have to make them up like Joe Biden. Wow. I mean, his, his history is a moving target. What did I say last week? I don't know. Well, I'll change the story this week. Scary guy, um, really and truly. But most politicians like to tell you about the, when they were a kid, they had a newspaper route and they got up at the crack of dawn or they worked in a restaurant and washed dishes or, and, and you know, their, their parents and so forth. My, you know, my father was this, my mother did that. You know, that's right. And by the way, Herman Cain came from very humble origins and he was not above being beaten up by the left. And I met Herman Cain, by the way, in the green room at Fox. Uh, to use the Yiddish term, the guy was really a mensch, a real class act. The term in Yiddish mensch means a real good human being. Impressive guy. And according to his bio, his dad held down three jobs to support him, his mom, and, and, and the family. Talk about the American dream, and he became a candidate for the presidency. That's the American dream. By the way, he was black. And he was an amazing guy, very humble guy. I, I thoroughly enjoyed meeting him. It was devastating to find out that he fell victim to the COVID virus. I'm very upset uh, that Louis Gohmert, the congressman from Texas, has tested positive. I hope Louis makes it okay. He's a real good guy. I've had meetings with Louis Gohmert. Real good guy. These are very disturbing situations. <clears throat> but the idea that we have people like Bernie Sanders, who when you ask him about his childhood, says, I don't talk about my childhood. I, I don't know if he was abused. I don't know what his story was, but I really sometimes wonder at those people who are eager to tear down America if they aren't doing it because they see America as the authority figure, much as when they were growing up, they saw their parents as the authority figure. And perhaps if they had such a disturbed, troubled, abusive childhood and had such antipathy for their parents that they've now transferred that anger our country because after all government is the ultimate authority figure in, in, in public life so when you look at these people who maybe were abused by the parents God only knows what might have happened to them maybe not but as an agent you always looked at all the possibilities <clears throat> you know abused children become abusive parents and I would argue perhaps abused children become power hungry politicians trying to make up for lost time we're going to pay a price because some people had a lousy home life growing up. That's not in anybody's best interests. And it was interesting that Barry Weiss and Bill Maher made the point that, you know, people have to step up and have the courage to, to say what they need to say. Of course, they only see it from one side, but better that than nothing. I, I really believe that there are some people who are looking around and saying we're going the wrong way on a one-way street. This is the time when all Americans should be banding together, ignoring race, religion, ethnicity, what I call the superficial factors, <clears throat> and ignoring whether or not they consider themselves Democrats or Republicans. Not unlike the days after 9-11, we were all Americans. It was after 9-11, after all, that Sheila Jackson Lee called me to testify before two hearings 
over at the Immigration Subcommittee, Committee on the Judiciary. I was called by the Democrats at another hearing, I believe it was before the Select Committee on Homeland Security, because people weren't fixated the way they are today on Democrat-Republican. <clears throat> and it's funny because on Bill Maher they were saying, well, you know, the people on the right are substituting Trump for religion, can do no wrong. By the way, I know some people that think Trump can do no wrong. I'm not on that list. I, I know some people, and I'm convinced that if Trump um, <laughs> relieved himself on their dining room table, they'd laminate it and call it a centerpiece. I'm not one of those. But what these folks don't recognize is that for them, Trump can do no right, which is also more than a bit disturbing. Human beings have flaws. God knows I've made my share of mistakes. If you're honest with yourself, whoever you are out there, you've made your share of mistakes. We all have days in our personal histories where if we could go back in time and undo that day, we would undo that day. I don't care who you are. That is the truth. We're human. We make mistakes. We're far from flawless. Countries make mistakes. America has made some doozies. But I will put America's track record up against the history of any other country on this planet, confident that America will come out heads and shoulders above all other countries. <clears throat> and now we have some certifiable lunatics looking to take this country down. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an uncle or an aunt, think of your kids, your nieces, your nephews. Think about your neighbor's children. Think about the traditions of this great nation. Um, there's a lot at stake. This is not the time for cowardice. This is the time for bravery. This is the time to understand that if you don't exercise your First Amendment freedom, and they've been trying to attack this forever, and I've been saying this to people forever, with all the concerns about the Second Amendment, firearms, don't lose sight of the significance of the First Amendment. I participated in debates across this country at Yale Law School, Columbia Law, Columbia Graduate School of Journalism, NYU, Central Washington University, Chapman Law School. I've been there, done that. There's very few debates today on college campuses involving issues of significance. The globalists, the anarchists, they know they can't win their arguments on the facts. They know that law facts, common sense, and morality are all working against them. So the tactic they've now taken, too, is shutting down debate. It's kind of like the old Model T Ford. You could get it in any color as long as it was black. You could have any position you want on a college campus as long as you agree with the thugs. Otherwise, your safety cannot be guaranteed. That's how the Holocaust started. That's how atrocities throughout history have started. It is incredibly important that we develop the spine, the chutzpah, the moral fortitude to stand up and push back. Politicians who think it's okay to disband police departments and leave society's most vulnerable, vulnerable to the most violent thugs with the greatest voracious appetites for blood those politicians need to find a new way to make a living, and we the people can do that. That's what elections are for. <clears throat> when I testified before Congress shortly after 
I remember saying to the Congress in my prepared remarks that most sensible people live their lives with the principle safety first. So as I sit here right now talking to you, I ask you once again to put safety first. We should be reforming our justice system. I have no problem with that. We need to make people in the law enforcement professions accountable. I have no problem with that. We also need to make the politicians accountable because they are ultimately the ones that call the shots. They're the ones who write the laws and issue the regulations that law enforcement is supposed to follow. There's a wonderful Yiddish expression that says that when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. Let's understand what's going on. Final point. There was a program on TV called The Swamp talking about how lobbyists control the government. It's even worse than I thought it was, how members of Congress have to give X amount of money to their respective political parties if they want to sit on certain committees and especially if they want a chairmanship in a committee. They basically have to buy that seat in the committee. And they do it by going to the special interest groups that give them the money that they then turn over to the party, and then the party uses it to help their favorite candidates win elected office. I'm going to say it again. I keep saying it, and we're back to the same problem. If you have a real problem with lobbyists, and I do because I think of them as bribers, which is what they are, well, the only thing worse than the prostitute is the pimp. And and, and who is the prostitute here? It's the politicians. Think of the employer-employee relationship between politicians and the lobbyists. In the employer-employee relationship, the employer writes the check for the employee who does what he or she is told. And the employee then cashes or deposits that check. Who's writing the check, folks? The lobbyists. Who's cashing that check? The political parties. This isn't the most corrupt way of doing business. I don't know what is. About 10 years ago, I believe it was, there was a professor at um, the university who said that um, America had gone from a republic to a um, oligarchy. The university was Princeton, by the way, the same place where Albert Einstein um, was one of the lecturers did all of his work. So Princeton University came out with the uh, sad, tragic, uh, disconcerting study, this one professor did at least, that said, you know, we're no longer a republic, we're an oligarchy where the wealthy get what they want and the rest of us are in deep trouble. It's only gotten worse, and it will continue to get worse until we, the people, take control of our own government. After all, this is supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We can do this. In point of fact, we must do this. Um, I ask that you please go to frontpagemag.com, Front Page Magazine. Check out my articles. Please forward those articles to as many of your friends as you can. We need to have an honest conversation, especially with people who disagree with us. The issues are clear, the threats are clear, and the solution. That's pretty clear also. Remember, folks, democracy is not. Hope you like my program. Please go to Team DML and consider um, signing up. It's a subscription service, but I think it will be worth your while. I'll be doing podcasts all week for them, in fact, next week. 
at teamdmldmlnews.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. I look forward to seeing you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.